next level people. Today is episode three of five for our Veterans Week. And today we're going to be chatting with one of my favorite people on the planet, Samuel Messenheimer. He is one of the most giving people on the planet. He is a Marine veteran that came out and basically just got punched in the face with reality to the point that he was living in his car and counting the change in his pocket just to see how many things he could afford on the dollar menu for the day. Now that he's on the other side, he's created something called Critical Access, which is his way of helping veterans get jobs and helping companies hire vets. And get this, it's a volunteer effort. He's not making a single dime off of it right now because he doesn't want to charge people for what they cannot afford. He's an amazing person. So let's dive in and learn from Sammy Boy's story, shall we? Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Next Level People. This is the third episode of five for Veterans Week and today Sean and I are chatting with our good buddy Samuel Messenheimer. He is such a handsome fella. Uh, Oh, he is so handsome, let me tell you. Yeah, he's such, he's he's a good dude. We just, we, we really love this guy and we promise that it is strictly platonic sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but seriously, oh, yeah. he's a good dude. He has an incredible story of how he transitioned out and pulled himself back up off the streets. And he started something called Critical Access, and he is helping veterans. No charge. He's just – he is – a giver, and we really appreciate all the things that he's doing. I'm not going to steal too much of the time wasting, uh, you know, just swooning over him. But Sammy boy, we're excited to have you, man. Welcome. You're making me blush, dude. But I appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> so, talk to me. Give give kind of the quick, uh, quick story, the quick rundown of your transition story, why you got into the military in the first place, and then what it was like coming out. Um, so the quick version would be, I went to the Marine Corps because, uh, I wasn't really the best student (laughs) and, uh, I just, that's why we became recruiters. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. So, um, you know, college just wasn't written in the stars for me at that time. And so, uh, visited the local office and it's very similar to most people's stories and shipped off to boot camp in 2007 uh spent four years active duty uh stationed down in north carolina where i currently reside and you know uh spending even just the four years that i did really um allowed me to learn about myself um helped me identify some strengths and weaknesses that i had as a person um really gave me direction that I didn't have prior to that. And um, I think a lot of what I do now is based on uh, just the very strong foundation that I know exists among uh, among veterans. So, um, you know, very grateful for that time. And again, it leads into a lot of what I do now. Uh, when I got out, um, I tell everybody that there is a million factors that uh, led to my experience, uh, a lot of which over the years I've had to revisit and take accountability for because it wasn't all society's fault or the military's fault 
or civilians fault. Um, a lot of it rested on me, but when I got out, uh, the, the two biggest things that stick out to me as far as the roadblocks that I faced was one is just ignorance, um, ignorance to what, um, the, uh, military provided as far as benefits and support for a transition, um, as well as ignorance to what I faced uh, after um, active duty, because leaving active duty uh, after joining at the age of 18, I still hadn't had a lot of real world experience. So I didn't, I had never, uh, you know, applied for many jobs uh, up until that point. I, I didn't know how to write a good resume. I definitely had no idea how to articulate my military experience into um, civilian job applications that would make sense to a hiring recruiter. So uh, the ignorance of, of both sides. And, you know, I think there are factors. The second part of that would be, um, you know, what does the military offer and is it enough? And uh, are we doing enough on the civilian side to make that transition as easy and supportive as possible? Um, and when I say that, I think that it's, it can commonly be misconstrued to say that I have the belief people owe veterans jobs. I don't believe that. I believe that there is a certain amount of, of support and, and benefit that I get from helping vets, but they absolutely earn positions that they gain in civilian employment. They have a lot of expertise and strengths that the average person does not have, which makes them beneficial to a company. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Sean. I think, I mean, here's just in terms of that, I know you're saying that, you know, all of the Marines and all the, the vets, you know, they earn these jobs and 100% they, they do because they do have transferable skills that a lot of people just will not have regular civilians. But me personally, I do believe, I believe that everyone that goes overseas should come back to have a job. I just think that that's the right thing to do, right? In terms of kind of like laying their lo their lives in the line for us on a daily basis, I think the least that we could do is give these men and women uh, an opportunity when they get back. I think for for me, like I, I love the idea of it, but it's a, I feel like instead there should be more training on how, like kind of what, what Samuel was saying, how to write your resume, how to present yourself, like, like how to translate your four plus years of military experience into like what civilians actually understand. Because if, if they come back out and something is just given to them, that's also counterculture to what the military has taught them that nothing is yeah, really given to them. They have to work their ass off. They have to beat themselves to a bloody pulp practically through boot camp just to be able to say that they're a Marine or whatever. Uh, and so I feel like there definitely needs to be some different training inside and on the outside, just like what Samuel was saying, there, there should definitely be some more, more training on the civilian side. The support, uh, I feel like in them earning it gives them a, a deeper sense of, of dignity almost. Yeah. But yeah. Hey. Sam, what is the process now? So, like, as soon as you uh, you got out, right, as soon as you transitioned out of mm -hmm. the, um, 
out of the uh, the forces, what was given to you? Like, what were your options? Was there anything like a career, I, I guess for a lack of a better term, like a career fair or a career, you know, orientation? Did you get to meet with counselors or did you get to do anything? Were there, are there any programs like that that exist today? Um, there certainly were programs that existed then. I think that uh, due to the last few recent visits that I've made, um, even to uh, the last duty station that I had, uh, they've come a long way. There were programs that existed then, and I think that they've certainly gotten better over time. Um, and I'm certainly not going to say I'm an expert on what programs exist. You know, I'm still learning about them even now just to be as uh, good a resource to candidates as, as possible. But they had job fairs. Um, they had presentations from different companies giving them some insights as to what uh, was possible at their individual company. The military provided uh, a lot of just basic checklists to walk through uh, to, pre to prepare you for uh, job interviews and resume writing and things like that. But uh, it was more just referring you to either another section of the military or a third party that would take care of these multiple aspects that would arise. Um, and as as I've said before, a lot of people I think are like me where they believe they know what to expect and how to deal with the transition. And, uh, you know, I, I did not take full advantage of everything that was offered. And so the reason why I can't speak as intelligently to what was offered back then was because I didn't take advantage of it. And it's something mm -hmm. that I strongly encourage people to do now because whether or not it's perfect is, is uh, besides the fact, if you don't take advantage of it, then you're missing out. You're leaving opportunity on the table. Um, right. And part of what I do now also is working with um, those companies and, and advising them on, on uh, how to properly, um, you know, bring uh, veterans to your table, draw them in, uh, in a way that, um, you know, is geared towards what drives a veteran to want to succeed within your company and what would be beneficial for them as an individual. Uh, cause the conversation that you have with a veteran transitioning is different than if you go to a college career fair. So, you know, um, but recently I went and they've, they've come a long way. There's a lot of programs that exist. And again, I'm not an expert, but certainly a lot out there that I don't believe that everyone takes full advantage of. Yeah. So when you, when you got out, uh, dive a little bit deeper into that story because you, you kind of got punched in the face getting out of the Marines in, in kind of the pride section. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so, you know, I, I do walk that line of confidence and arrogance at times. Uh, I, I certainly had a very uh, large ego when I got out of the military. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being proud of your service mm -hmm. or holding your head high for what you've done. But, um, you know, that also is a factor that can lead to uh, things not working out and then spiraling out of control because you aren't asking for help or you're not humble enough to admit that uh, you might have, um, you know, lost your way a little bit and, and got it taken care of before it got out of control. And so in my case, when I got out, I allowed it to get out of control. And um, a lot of that stemmed from, my, I, I think it was a mixture of inability to know who to ask for help and then just my, my desire to ask for help. Mm. Um, you know, in my mind, I was expected to overcome my own challenges 
and um, adapt to my situ- to, to my environment and my situation and succeed uh, and use the resources that were available to me uh, without having to humble myself and, and ask for help, which was um, what led to, uh, you know, a, a period of time where I was homeless. There was a uh, period of time where, um, you know, I, I, I remember about a year and a half ago, um, I wrote my first, I refer to it as a viral post. It wasn't terribly viral, but it was the most viral post I had ever written. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I had ever um, really publicly stated how bad that situation was, just because a lot of people that follow me um, are very close family and, and friends who don't know uh, all the details. And I made a post about how um, there were days I would literally go through uh, my pockets and I would count my change to see how much uh, h- or how many um, uh, dollar menu items I could get at McDonald's. Like that was a real life event where mm-hmm. I, I had to go through the change in my pocket. And, um, you know, I, I hesitate to, um, um, really share that sometimes because, uh, you know, it's easy to have sympathy for someone like that. Um, but because it was my experience, I didn't have to be in that situation. Um, it, that was just a continued refusal to humble myself and ask for help. Um, however, I, I give myself the benefit of the doubt, uh, in that there weren't a lot of places that I felt like I could go and ask for help, even if, you know, it, that's besides the, the point of me. Um, not being willing to ask. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's something that stood out to me as I was looking at how can I help vets in their transition? Um, You know, how do I break through that, that wall of pride uh, where it's okay to say that you're not okay, uh, but then also be a voice that they, that they can uh, listen to and reach out to because there has to be a voice to listen uh, once you get them through that, that uh, mental roadblock. Cool. So, Sam, mm-hmm. tell, tell us a little bit about how you got into helping veterans. So, it started with um, far before critical access. Every civilian job that I've ever held since, um, because I was so grateful to finally find employment, um, I wanted to utilize any position that I held in helping fellow veterans, whether it be inside that company or recruiting talent into the company, um, uh, helping the company, um, uh, you know, provide recognition and growth strategies for a veteran, um, especially in leadership. You know, I've just really been passionate about it. And uh, after about three or four years, I started hitting this may not be the best way to, to terminize or uh, terminology to use, but um, I ran into a lot of political roadblocks. Uh, once you get to a certain level, um, you know, people start asking, people start asking the question, um, uh, you know, how much money is this going to cost? And uh, how much manpower is this going to cost? And, you know, what's the ROI to, you know, pursue something that I believe was important for helping veterans. And, you know, these are very large companies. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I understand why those are questions that have to be asked at a certain point. Um, but I, I just wanted to go back to what my whole desire of just wanting to help vets. And I may not be able to help 500 to 1,000 at a time, 
Um, but if I can help one to five at a time and do my job well and make an impact in their lives and, and put them on the road to success or at least give them the ability to be successful on their own, then that's a, that that's that's all I need. That's all I want. So um, I ended up um, starting critical access out of a desire to um, help vets uh, in a very personable, um, small, uh, small way, but but on a personal way. So I, I know it's not going to help as many people. You know, I say that because it's a very small effort, but um, the impacts are, are amazing. And mm. I just remember the first two or three people that I talked to and watched their uh, transformation from, you know, a struggling, arrogant, uh, and, and at the same time, scared veteran trying to, to make it uh, after they had been discharged to being successful or that first phone call that was, I got the job you know, like that, yeah. that's, that was the most amazing feeling I had ever gotten. And from that moment, it was just, it was just a matter of how many different ways can I help, uh, achieve that result? Cause that's, that's my end desire is to get that result where I get to hear their voice when they're reaching out for help in a moment of, of being lost and needing direction to that moment of, I got the job and thank you for your impact because that's, it's the most rewarding uh, feeling ever to get that kind of a phone call. Yeah, that's that's amazing, and I I want to commend you because there are so many people, whether good intentioned or otherwise, that are looking mainly at the ROI of veteran hiring, uh, and whether yeah. that ends up being a, a good thing because more vets get jobs that they like awesome or or if it's it doesn't the thing that i want to commend you for is the fact that you're doing something and a lot of times people get caught up in the fact that i can't i don't know where to start i don't know what i can do uh who am i all those different things like you you weren't a recruiter you were just someone that wanted to help and so you just did and that's that's the coolest thing about it is you you are that type of person that I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do it, and you do it. And I love that about you, and I love that about Critical Access and just the spirit behind that. Um, one of the questions that I'm curious about, you know, one of the cool things that I get to see in interviewing a ton of people is kind of the, the patterns of successes or the patterns of failures or whatever. Uh, and so I'm curious in helping however many people you've helped so far, what are some of the patterns uh, of the vets that you've helped that if you could say to a larger audience, if you focus on these few things, you're going to have a much easier time in the job search than if you just kind of ignore it? Okay, I can, uh, I, I, I can answer that two different ways because I think that there's um, two different perspectives to the same pattern that I've seen. Mm. So... Um, in reference to speaking to a group of veterans that are in that place of um, not knowing what the next step is, no matter how dire their situation um, or how good their plan is, um, they they typically um, appreciate starting from square one. Um, 
most vets that I have talked to are at step seven, where um, the first conversation I have with them is I want to get into uh, private defense contracting in the IT field, and I want to, uh, you know, earn this amount of money, and I want to do it in this demographic. Mm. I, and and that's the first phone call. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't have a good answer from where that comes from, but I do know that that is a, a very common thing that happens. And um, my response to that is uh, typically, uh, can you send me a copy of your resume? Uh, no matter where they're at in the process, that's my first question is, can you just send me a copy of your resume? Uh, and I do that for a couple of reasons. The first reason is because uh, at least half of those people will have a resume that um, I don't think speaks to the level of confidence that they speak to me in. So, and what right. I mean by that is when vets talk to vets, I think this is something that's important for, um, people to understand candidates and veteran, uh, or, uh, recruiters alike is when a vet is speaking to another vet, there's assumed knowledge. So when you're explaining to me your military service, they have an assumed knowledge about what I understand about them. And so they speak with a different level of confidence because they don't feel the need to have to explain to me every detail and aspect of what their experience entailed. Right. Um, however, you take that same candidate, you put them in front of a civilian recruiter that has no military experience whatsoever. Um, that lack of confidence or that over eagerness to explain everything that they did can usually get lost um, and usually does not uh, translate into competence. So uh, I asked for the resume and uh, I tell them that that's, that's, that's the starting point for, for at least the process that they do with me. Uh, number one, because, um, I mean, there's a lot of people who don't know how to write a resume, and mm -hmm. most people won't admit that they don't know how to write one. Um, yeah. and, and that's fine. I mean, I, I'm not the best either, but... Um, um, you know, that's, that's a pattern is, is they start at a, a step that's far, far ahead from where we need to begin at. Um, mm -hmm. because I don't want to set them up for, um, you know, a, a, uh, multiple disappointments or rejections. And we could have fixed it early on by just mm -hmm. starting at step one. Um, and there's, there's, um, the recruiter. So the, the pattern that I see on the recruiting side. Um, is there seems to me, again, you know, from my limited amount of experience um, dealing with this, recruiters tend to uh, avoid topics that they don't understand mm -hmm. and uh, will not admit, for whatever reason, uh, to a candidate that they have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. And they'll do zero legwork or, or little to no legwork to figure out, um, you know, what did he mean when he said that he was a uh, staff NCOIC of X, Y, and Z and managed X, Y, and Z assets uh, that I've never heard any of these acronym, acronyms before. You know, there's a lot of military individuals who uh, manage a lot of finances, uh, but they don't refer to it as a P&L. So, you know, a recruiter might say, how many years of P&L experience do you have? Uh, that was an, uh, uh, an issue that I ran into with um, a fairly large company that they had online applications getting kicked back because vets uh, answered that question incorrectly because they didn't understand a P&L um, mm. because that's not the acronym that they all use. Um, yeah. So, you know, on the civilian side, 
recruiters need to be given at least um, uh, resources to be able to do, uh, you know, a, uh, get decent amount of information for uh, not a terrible, uh, terribly long use of time. So right. I, I know that it's an extra, it, it, it can be an extra step sometimes. Um, and that's something that uh, I've worked towards is when working with um, especially recruiters or, or making an argument for a company to, to provide more um, support for um, attracting and retaining veteran candidates. Um, you know, I go into what the ROI is, not because I believe that that should be the driving issue, but right. that's what means a lot to people. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the pattern for, for recruiters is typically yeah. uh, not addressing unknowns when they should. Yeah, that's that's not sound like recruiters at all. <laughs> that's that's a pattern no matter who they're talking to. I mean, I I started off in tech and and I uh, I didn't see a turnaround in my hiring rates uh, like submittal to hire ratio or whatever you want to call it until I slowed down enough to ask the questions and risk looking stupid. But nine times out of ten, if you ask like, what did that mean? Or you just like start off with, hey, I don't really understand this area and you're the expert. I would love it. Could you just explain like, what does that mean? Like, how do you, tr like, what is PNL in your world? What is that acronym? Because I, I just don't see it on your resume. I believe you that you say that you've handled finances, but what does that look like? And, or on the tech space as well, or sales space or any recruiting industry uh, being willing to be a beginner, be willing to, I mean, it's the same thing. Like Sammy boy said that he was prideful didn't know how to ask for help and stuff like that. Recruiters, you, I know this because I've been like this. We are super prideful. Like we, we are expected to know everything. And so when it comes time to admit that we don't know something, a lot of times you go the path of least resistance, which is, oh, I'm just going to find another candidate. When really that veteran that you don't understand the acronyms for might be better than the person that you do understand. So take yeah. an extra, it could, it might only be three minutes, five minutes. And those three to five minutes on the first call with that first vet might help you with a ton of other conversations in the future and gives you a leg up over the competition that will not take those extra three to five minutes to understand what those acronyms are or what that veteran is actually saying. So it's not just for the veteran's sake. If you want to be selfish, great. Do it for yourself. Do it for your own commission statement. Ask the questions, get the knowledge, and be a better recruiter. That's all there is to it. All right. Well, Sorry I like the, the fact that you said willing to be a beginner because yeah. I think... Um, that's that's a significant pattern and I, I i've heard this actually from um people who do similar work um, on a much larger scale that there uh, there are uh, the vast majority of uh, veteran candidates unless you're doing executive recruiting and and things like that that uh held a, a much higher level of responsibility and accountability in the military than they will starting out in the civilian sector. Uh, and they have to be willing to be a beginner. So I'm so glad that you said that because I think that there's a mindset when you get out of the military that yes, do you have strong leadership skills? Absolutely. 
yes, did you have you know X level or X number of uh, direct reports or uh, X amount of uh, financial accountability uh, in whatever role that you held? Yes. However, um, it does not uh, just apples to apples translate in the civilian world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you look at a, uh, E5, 6, 7 even, but let's say E5s and E6s, which translate, at least in the Marine Corps, to, to a sergeant and a staff sergeant. You know, you've got your highest level NCO as well as your, your entry-level staff NCOICs that uh, could be um, determined as, as mid-level management. Well, there's all kinds of mid-level management, uh, you know, that positions that exist in the civilian world that military members are, are not going to be offered uh, right off the bat. Uh, like there's there's all kinds of things that stand in between that. So uh, that's just I'm, that's a really good statement. So I'm glad that you made that. It's just part of again a veteran candidate being humble and uh, willing to be a beginner. Yeah. No, I love it. So one of the questions that I love to ask every one of our guests is if something happened and the all of the previous conversation for some reason some random tech issue got deleted and this last couple minutes was the only recording that people had what's the one thing that you want people to hear the two or three things that you think are most important that if they heard nothing else and didn't listen to any other podcast these are the things that you want the veterans to understand. So um, I'll make it real quick because I only have two. One is that um, critical access or anything that represents what critical access does would not be possible without um, uh, people like you and Sean, who uh, are expert recruiters, masters of your field, um, just absolutely and uh, fantastic resumes in what you do. Uh, being willing to give your own time, energy uh, to helping people like me, candidates, um, you know, being willing to give free advice to be able to just support that effort. It, it simply wouldn't ex- exist without people like you. Um, you know, going back to uh, talking about bringing a veteran candidate back to step one, where we start with resumes. I'm not an expert resume writer, but I have individuals that uh, have offered their time and energy to say, if you don't know, send them to me. I, I can offer 30 minutes of, of one-on-one time with them. I can look at, uh, you know, I can overview their stuff. Um, the it, it will not succeed. It will not continue to grow without people like that. So on one hand, I'd like to express just my appreciation for the people who have helped, as well as um, if this is something that is um, uh, something you want to get involved in and, uh, you know, it speaks to you, uh, I'm glad you mentioned it from the beginning. Uh, this is not a business to me. It's not a revenue stream. I don't consider myself some really high-end entrepreneur that built this amazing business. I just want to help vets, and I can't do it without help. Um, but uh, you know, it's not it's it's not money based. It's it's uh, just out of a desire to to help. And those are the people that I surround myself with, and that make this make this successful. And there's a lot of veterans that are very very grateful. So, um, you know, if you if you want to get involved, if you want to help. Um, I, I am always looking for anybody who can, who can e- even teach me, you know, I, I'm still learning this process. So, uh, on one hand, I'm very grateful and, you know, anyone that's, that's willing to help, I'm a very open, very open person, love to talk to anyone about it. So really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds. Beautiful. Well, that ladies and gentlemen 
is Samuel Messenheimer. He is, like I said, he's an awesome person. If you don't know that by now, then I don't know what you're doing. You, you, you must not have listened to the episode. But if you want to get connected with Sammy Boy, you can do that on LinkedIn. Uh, you can go to Critical Access page on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Where else do you want people to reach out to you, man? Um, so real quickly, I do have, uh, so I, I really just uh, do most of my communication through my own personal LinkedIn uh, page, but I do have a company LinkedIn page. Just uh, it, We just started that recently, just started a, a company Facebook page for Critical Access. Uh, but I also have a, um, a group that you can request to join um, called the Critical Access Network. Uh, I think we just broke 150 members and those are made up of uh, veteran candidates that have spoken with me that desire to learn um, whether they I've done the entire process with them or you know they just want to be surrounded by like-minded people. Uh, it also has members like yourself, expert recruiters, resume writers, hiring recruiters, um, people with just a lot of expertise that are willing to share that kind of information and um, you know assist in people as they have questions. So um, you know people who want to get involved in a more intimate way. I've got the critical access network group that you request to join uh, but then the page as well um, on linkedin and facebook so any which way that you can reach out i'll i'll get in contact with you i'm not uh, i'm not terribly worried about it just I, i'm on all four <laughs> it's beautiful it's me it's a one-man machine so just let me know awesome sammy boy thank you so much for spreading your knowledge and we will definitely be talking to you again soon thanks man